Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. In this episode, you are going to learn all about your due date. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 147. I am so glad that you are spending some of your time with me today. All right. So today's episode is all about due date. And this is an episode I did it like almost three years ago and like towards the beginning of the podcast. And it was definitely time to update it. So you need to know about your due date because your due date is really important. 
all of the decisions that are made during pregnancy revolve around your due date. So it is really crucial that we get it right. So in this episode, you are going to learn why your due date is important, how it is best determined, like what is the best way to determine your due date, why it's really important to understand that due date is an estimate. I actually hate the term due date. And then in this episode, which I'm adding that wasn't in the first episode, you're going to learn about what happens when you go past your due date, because this is a common question that I get. So you'll learn some definitions about going past your due date. You'll learn the risk associated with going past your due date. And then I will end with what your options are for when you go past your due date or when you get near your due date. All right, now before we get into the episode, let's do a listener shout out. This is from Dina Dancer, and she says, great find. I'm at 32 weeks of my first pregnancy and just found this podcast. I find it very informative, practical, and relevant, and will keep listening. I've shared it with my husband as well. We have been reading books upon books and find the podcast offers specialist topics of focus and is more personal. Well, I am so, so glad that you enjoy the podcast. These are all of the reasons why I created it. So folks can have informative information. It's evidence-based, it's comprehensive, a holistic approach, also practical and re- relevant. So I am glad that you will keep listening and that your husband is listening too. Now, if you want to get more beyond what I just have on the podcast, definitely join my email list. On my email list, I offer exclusive discounts there that I don't offer anywhere else else. Okay. So you can join my email list at drnicolerankins.com forward slash email. Never any spam or anything like that. And I certainly don't sell your information. I also send like helpful tips and information in the email. So if you're like someone who's not on social media, um, which we all need to do less of these days, being on my email list is a great way to stay in contact with me and still get great information in between podcast episodes. So join the email list at drnicolerankins.com forward slash email. Again, you'll get those exclusive discounts there as well. All right, so let's talk about your due date. So your due date is more than just giving you an idea of when your baby is going to be born. An accurate estimate of your due date is absolutely critical during your pregnancy because management decisions during pregnancy are highly, highly influenced by how developed your baby is and the baby's development is tied to the gestational age and the gestational age is determined by the due date. So really so many decisions revolve around the due date. For example, determining whether or not you are preterm, determining if the pregnancy is post-term. And I'm going to define the post-term definition in a little bit in the episode. Also, certain tests are done at certain times in pregnancy in order to get the most accurate results, like screening for gestational diabetes. There's some genetic tests that need to be done at a certain point in pregnancy. Accurate due date also reduces the chances of induction. So it's really, really important that we have an accurate date in your pregnancy because if the dates are wildly off or really inaccurate, then we can be making decisions and potentially end up, for example, say, 
inducing someone's labor because we think the baby is small when in actuality the due date was inaccurate and actually the baby wasn't small. The baby was just earlier in the pregnancy than we thought based on the due date. So getting an accurate due date is super duper important. Now, one of the things that I want you to realize about due date is that it is an estimate. Okay. It is an estimate. It's an estimate. It's an estimate. I see so many people get tied to this specific date and it is very much so an estimate. Actually, only about 4% of women will deliver on that actual due date. Now, part of it is because just some of the limitations we have that are, you know, where we can guess when a baby is going to be born. But also there's just a lot of natural biologic variation in the way babies develop. So it's really hard to say that this is the date that your baby is going to come because there's a lot of variation in that. I actually wish we would stop giving a due date and instead give a range of dates that we expect that you'll deliver. You know, even if we gave like a seven day range, that would actually be pretty accurate. A few to seven to 10 days, a few days before, a few days after that due date is a more accurate estimate of when you are most likely to go into labor and not on that specific due date. Okay, so how do we estimate the due date? Traditionally, before ultrasound, we used to estimate the due date by adding 280 days from the first day of the last menstrual period or 266 days from the date of conception. So from the date of your last menstrual period, you don't actually get pregnant until you ovulate after that. So usually it's about two weeks after that. So that's why there's a difference in the days between 280 and 266, because the date of conception is going to be after the last menstrual period. Now, this method is flawed because it assumes that all women have regular menstrual cycles that are 28 days and that ovulation occurs on the 14th day. So this doesn't take into account that women also may not accurately remember their last menstrual period. I mean, sometimes, you know, you have an idea like, oh, I think it was this day or I know it was during this week. Some of us don't necessarily track the exact date. So you may not know the exact date. And again, so many of us are not on like regular 28 day cycles. I would probably guess that most of us actually are not on regular 28 day cycles. We may be on regular cycles, but it may be 29 or maybe 27 or maybe some little bit of variation. So that's why that method isn't always necessarily the best. Okay, so actually the best estimate of the delivery date or due date is based on ultrasound performed before 22 weeks, zero days of pregnancy and actually crown rump length. And that is like what it sounds like. It's a measurement from the top of the the crown of the baby's head to the rump, the, the bottom measured in the first trimester. So up to 14 weeks is the most accurate ultrasound method of determining the due date. It is more accurate than any other ultrasound done at any other point in pregnancy. So that's why a lot of offices do ultrasound in the first trimester, because that is going to be the most accurate method that we have of determining due date. 
Now, once we get an ultrasound estimate of your due date, then we compare it to the due date that we got based on your last menstrual period, and then we come up with a final date. So if the ultrasound date differs from the date based on your last menstrual period by anywhere from seven to 10 days, depending on when the ultrasound was done, then we use the due date based on ultrasound, okay? So if those two things differ by seven to 10 days, then we use the due date based on ultrasound. If not, then we use the due date based on your last menstrual period. And that due date derived from the earliest ultrasound becomes your due date and it is not changed by subsequent ultrasound examinations. I see a lot of women get confused on this. So you'll have an ultrasound in the early part of pregnancy that gives an estimate for your due date. And then say around, you know, 28 or 30 weeks, you have another ultrasound. And on that ultrasound, it is going to say EDD and it's going to give a date. Okay. But that doesn't mean that that is your due date. That is the estimate of the due date based on that ultrasound. But we don't change it from the due date based on the earliest ultrasound. That can get really, really confusing. So even if you have another ultrasound, you do not change your due date. You go by the due date that is established at the earliest point in pregnancy. That is the one that is going to be the most accurate, okay? All right, now back in the day, we used to use like these mechanical wheels. They're like they're like these pregnancy wheels that we would use to determine due date, but they are actually not that accurate and they also are based on a 28-day cycle, so that also leads to the inaccuracy. Now these days, of course, we have calculators and, and, and apps and things that can determine due date. And most of these are actually more accurate than those old school pregnancy wheels. So most of us are using electronic techniques, but some of those can be slightly inaccurate as well. So again, don't hang your hat on what you get from one of those apps. You really want to base it on the earliest ultrasound that you have. And that's even more important if your periods are irregular. Did you know that 95% of pregnant women are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Enter Ritual. Their prenatal contains 350 milligrams of eco-friendly vegan omega-3 DHA in every serving. One of the reasons I like Ritual is that it's a female-founded B Corp meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. In addition to those omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development, Ritual also has choline and methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development. And the capsules feature a delayed release design to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. Why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole for 25% off. All right, so what does it mean when we don't have 
a good estimate of the due date. That is something called a suboptimally dated pregnancy. So if we have no ultrasound before 22 weeks, then we consider that pregnancy to be suboptimally dated, meaning that the estimate of the due date is not the best. We can't rely on a single number in order to assess how far along the pregnancy is. It can't reliably distinguish between a pregnancy that is, we have the dates wrong, or it's younger than expected, or if there's growth restriction. You just can't understand when you get an ultrasound beyond 22 weeks and get a single number, you have to redo the ultrasound in order to get a good sense for how the baby's growing. So what we do in that case, if the pregnancy is suboptimally dated, meaning there's no ultrasound before 22 weeks, then we do serial measurements via ultrasound and we space those out three to four weeks apart. And we don't want to do it any sooner than three weeks because we need some time to see how the baby grows over that time. You'll find this is the case if there's some concern about your baby's growth. They're not going to schedule another ultrasound for three weeks because we need those three weeks in order to see how things change over time. Sooner than that, we don't have a good estimate. Okay. So what we do is if you get your first ultrasound after 22 weeks, and actually some folks don't know that they're pregnant until later, especially if you have a regular period. So if you get that ultrasound after 22 weeks, then you're going to need another ultrasound in three to four weeks in order to see how the baby grows during that time. Okay. And that is going to give us a more reliable estimate of the due date. So if the measurements from those two ultrasounds are um, in sync with each other, then we have more reliable data that, okay, this is a good estimate of the due date. Um, if they're not out of, you know, if they're out of sync, then we have to continue to do ultrasounds to closely monitor the baby's growth. Okay. All right. Now, the last thing I'll say about due date is that um, when you get pregnant from assisted reproduction, then we can calculate the due date a little bit differently. When we know the exact conception date or the exact fertilization date, then we can calculate the estimated due date pretty accurately from, from there and how far along you are for sure. Okay. So you can enter one of those calculators. Um, the date of egg retrieval, the date of insemination, the date of the embryo transfer, whether it's day three or day five. So with assisted reproduction, we get actually a really accurate estimate because we know the exact moment that the pregnancy started in those cases, and you can calculate the date from there. All right, so the next thing I want to talk about is what happens when you go past your due date, because this is a fairly common thing that happens, or at least there's a lot of discussion of it. Okay. So first, let me tell you some definitions. So full term is actually defined as 39 weeks and zero days to 40 weeks and six days. We used to define full term after 37 weeks, and we still do in a sense, but really... That's like more like early term, 37 to 39 weeks. And full term is 39 weeks, zero days to 40 weeks, six days. All right. Your due date corresponds to exactly 40 completed weeks. So 40 weeks and zero days, 40 weeks and zero days. Okay. And the reason that we have defined full time, 
full term now is 39 weeks, zero days, is that we don't want to be inducing labor before that for non-medical reasons. So it used to be that people would get induced after 37 weeks, 38 weeks, you know, they wanted to have their baby or or the you know doctor wanted to schedule it on a specific day or whatever, and people would get induced um, after 37 weeks. But we have since found that every day up to 39 weeks matters. And 39 weeks is like the sweet spot where we know that the vast majority of babies are ready to be born and everything will be good when they're born. And um, there's a lower risk of complications. So 39 is considered full term up to 40 weeks and six days. And, and, and also side note, as we are calculating pregnancy, like we never calculated in um, months, actually a full term pregnancy of 40 weeks is going to be over nine months. It's like nine and a half, almost 10 months because a month has four weeks. So depending on the timing of the year, it's actually longer than months. So we never talk about pregnancy in months. We always talk about pregnancy in weeks and days. So 40 weeks, one day, 40 weeks, two day, you know, two days. It's always weeks and days for pregnancy. That's what we're always going to go by. We're never going to talk about pregnancy in months. Okay, now getting back to the definitions, late term, and, th- and this is going to be important in the discussion of going past your due date, so that's why I'm, I'm telling you these. So late term is 41 weeks, zero days to 41 weeks, six days. And then post term is a pregnancy that is greater than or equal to 42 weeks and zero days. Okay. So one more time, full term is 39 weeks, zero days to 40 weeks, six days. Late term is 41 weeks, zero days to 41 weeks, six days. And post term is greater than or equal to 42 weeks, zero days. And these definitions are important is because the guidelines for how to manage going past your due date, actually focus on late term and post term pregnancies. Okay. So the guidelines that ACOG provides in talking about how to manage going past your due date, actually don't even talk about it until 41 weeks. Practically, however, a lot of inductions happen between 40 and 41 weeks. All right. So and actually these days, more doctors because of the ARRIVE trial, and I've talked about the ARRIVE trial in the podcast episode on induction. Um, it's episode 70 of the podcast, uh, the episode on induction. That's drnicolerankins.com forward slash episode 70. So the ARRIVE trial found that there is a slightly reduced risk of cesarean birth for first time moms if you're induced at 39 weeks compared to expected management. So it's like 19 versus 21%. So it's not a huge difference, but slightly decreased risk. And a lot of people have misinterpreted that study actually to mean that you should recommend that everyone is induced at 39 weeks. And that's actually not necessary. But don't be surprised if your doctor starts talking about induction at 39 weeks and definitely around your due date. I just see like anecdotally and in communities that I'm in that more and more people are kind of leaning towards recommending um, induction. It's actually getting to be more and more common. I'm just going to be honest about that. 
And it really just depends on the doctor and the practice. I know where I work, we certainly have plenty of folks who are induced, you know, for in the 41st week for sure. So it really just depends. But don't be surprised if the conversation comes up. Now, as far as things that can increase your chances of having what's called a late term or post term pregnancy, the biggest factor is if it happened before, maybe your babies just need to stay in a little bit longer. Also, if it's your first baby, that increases your chances that you're going to be late term or post post term. And remember, 41 weeks is late term. Um, if the baby is a boy, that also increases the chances of being late term or post term. And if you're over 35, if you're obese or if you identify as being white, then you have an increased chance of having a late term or post term pregnancy. Now, the reason, again, that we get concerned when pregnancies go longer is that we know that there are some risks associated with being pregnant longer. One is that the baby may be larger because the baby has had more time to grow. uh, And having a bigger baby does increase the risk for abnormal labor, abnormal labor progression, cesarean birth, assisted vaginal birth with vacuum of forceps, um, shoulder dissocia, which is when the shoulder gets stuck underneath the anterior pubic bone on the way out and then birth injuries, whether those are birth injuries from mom or the baby, and then also postpartum hemorrhage. Okay. So those are risk with the baby being bigger. Now induction has actually never been shown to help reduce those risks. I know it sounds crazy, but, um, it, it has not been shown to, to, decrease those risks to induce the baby. You would think it would, right? Because if you induce when the baby's smaller, you decrease those risks, but it it really hasn't been shown to make a difference. So we don't recommend induction, although it does kind of commonly happen. And I talk about that in episode 34 of the podcast, what to do when you have a big baby. That's drnicolerankins.com forward slash episode 34. Now, some other things that can happen when you are pregnant longer, there's a risk of something called post-maturity syndrome. It happens in about 10 to 20% of babies that go past full term and babies can have a long, thin body, long nails, and they're typically small for gestational age, meaning they are smaller than what we expect that they would be. Their skin can be really dry. They don't have a lot of vernix, which is that white moisturizing substance that babies are born with. Sometimes the fluid is meconium stained. Sometimes the skin is like kind of peeling and it's sort of loose. And babies with post-maturity syndrome are at risk for problems associated with growth restriction, um, like low blood sugar or having um, low oxygen at birth or meconium aspiration where they breathe in meconium. And meconium is um, when baby has a poop on the inside. They're also at risk for something called a persistent pulmonary hypertension, which is something that happens in the pulmonary vasculature. And then at risk for things like seizures and cerebral palsy. So that doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. Now, the thing that strikes fear into the hearts of all obstetricians and mothers too, of course, is the increased risk of stillbirth that accompanies staying pregnant longer. The reality is that babies born at greater than 41 weeks have one third greater mortality 
than babies born between 38 to 40 weeks. And the mortality rate at greater than 42 weeks is twice the rate at term, fourfold at 43 weeks and five to sevenfold at 44 weeks. I don't think I've ever in my life seen anyone pregnant at 43 or 44 weeks. That just doesn't happen very frequently now. Um, honestly, we don't see a lot of folks who are pregnant uh, beyond at 42 weeks even. Now, with that being said, although the risk goes up, the absolute risk is actually still very low. So what I mean by that, and this is just a hypothetical example, and I'm going to go through the numbers in just a minute, but like the risk, so say the risk at um, 38 to 40 weeks is one, then one out of 100, then double that is going to be two out of 100, fourfold for that is going to be four out of 100. So still a low number but it is increased. So you have to be mindful of that. So it's still not likely to happen. It's just that the risk is greatly increased. Now, the largest study to date on the risk of stillbirth and newborn death, it was published in 2019. And they looked at a whole bunch of studies. It was something called a meta-analysis. And that's where they take multiple studies and they combine together, combine the data together from all of those studies into one big study. And that's called a meta-analysis. All right. And in this particular meta-analysis, it included 13 studies. It looked at 15 million pregnancies and nearly 18,000 stillbirths. And all of these studies were conducted in what are considered high-income countries like the United States. So when we looked at that study, the risk of stillbirth per 1,000 pregnancies, um, and this is going to be at 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42 weeks. So I'm going to go up in those numbers between 37 and 42 weeks. So starting at 37, 0.11 per 1,000, then 0.16 at 38 weeks, 0.42 at 39 weeks, 0.69 at 40 weeks, 1.66 at 41 weeks, and 3.18 at 42 weeks. And that's again per 1,000. So you can see that the numbers definitely go up a lot, but the overall risk is still low. And I'm saying that to say, you know, that's information to, to keep handy that, that you know. So you have a realistic expectation and know what to expect. I can tell you from experience that these numbers are useful, but when you're in the moment and for someone who has a stillbirth, th- these numbers like are meaningless because either it happens or it doesn't. So it's hard to, to in some sense reconcile those two. Because stillbirth is such a a terrible outcome and you always worry, you know, if the baby was born earlier, could I have prevented it? But know that it is a rare thing that happens, but the risk definitely, definitely goes up with each subsequent week of pregnancy. And that risk is even higher for black women. They were 1.5 to two times more likely than white mothers to have a stillbirth at every week of pregnancy in this big meta-analysis study. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. 
I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. Now, there are some caveats to that that looked at pregnancies overall. When you look at low risk pregnancies, so not having any problems, and that was defined specifically as a single baby, no abnormalities, no medical conditions in the mother, then the numbers are actually low, lower, I should say. So at 38 weeks, it's 0.12 per 1,000. 39 weeks, it's 0.14. 40 weeks, 0.33, 41 weeks, 0.80, and 42 weeks, 0.88, okay? So the risk of stillbirth is low. It definitely goes up, but overall low in low-risk pregnancies. Now, some things that may increase your risk of stillbirth, I talked about being a black woman, also being obese. That would be defined as a BMI greater than 30, If you are over 35 or if you have diabetes or high blood pressure, those are all things that are going to increase your risk of stillbirth, as does having had a stillbirth in the past. And I do want to be clear that the risk of having or going further in pregnancy aren't just limited to babies. They're increased risk for moms, including an increased risk of infection, increased risk of developing preeclampsia. Increased risk of cesarean birth, having a vacuum or forceps birth, and then uh, postpartum bleeding. All right. Okay. So what are your options for if you go past your due date? And I want to be clear that this discussion is really for pregnancies with a single baby, no complications. If you have twins or more, or if your pregnancy has any complications at all, then we always recommend that you should be delivered sooner for your health or for your baby's health. All right. So some conditions where we recommend delivering early because the risk of stillbirth really starts to go up are if your baby is really small, if you have diabetes, you if you have high blood pressure. So it really just depends on your pregnancy. All right. So the options are, um, really it's just a couple options. The first one is induction. Now I typically, I don't work in the office anymore. I only work in the hospital, but when I was in the office, then I would offer induction at 41 weeks. Okay. About 75% of women will have given birth by 41 weeks. So that's why I recommended 41 weeks. And then also 41 weeks is when the risk of stillbirth 
really starts to go up. All right. So when you induce by 41 weeks, you're avoiding that increased risk of stillbirth, even if that risk is small, but you're avoiding the increased risk of stillbirth. And there's not a lot of risk necessarily to induction. Yes, there are some risk. And I talk about it in that podcast episode, but you know, you're almost certainly guaranteed to for it to be successful. Most inductions are successful, about 80% of them are. And of course, you're gonna take home a lot, baby. So I generally say 41 weeks, okay? And then another weaker reason that I would say 41 weeks is that because after 41 weeks, we recommend closer monitoring with testing twice a week. So um, and I, when I say 41 weeks, I would say, I, I mean, 41 weeks in one, two or three days, like within those first three days afterwards for induction. And then after that, you need to do testing to get monitored, put the baby's heart on the monitor, look at the fluid around the baby to make sure the baby's okay. Um, so you can avoid that if you get induced before 41 weeks. Now, if you want to be induced, then there's, that's, Totally okay. Honestly, it is not that uncommon for women to just be tired of being pregnant and want to get induced. And there's nothing wrong with that. So as long as you have completed at least 39 weeks, ideally you want your cervix to be favorable. So slightly dilated, thinned out or effaced. Um, you, before you get induction or before you get induced rather, but even if your cervix is not favorable, it's still likely to be successful. As long as you are patient with the induction and you give it time, you can certainly have a three or four or five day induction. You just have to be patient with the process. And again, there are risks to induction. I talk about that in episode 70 of the podcast. Also talk about it in greater detail inside the birth preparation course. Now, the second option for what you do as you get past your due date is to wait, you know, and that's just waiting until labor happens on its own. Some people have a strong desire to limit interventions, and I totally understand that. Now, because of the risk of stillbirth, most of us will recommend that we start doing testing beginning at 41 weeks. That means you come in twice a week, get that non-stress test where your baby's heart rate is monitored for 20 to 30 minutes. And we check the amount of fluid around the baby to make sure there are no concerns. If there are any concerns, then we do recommend induction. And side note, we are starting to do better about lower intervention options for induction. Like just recently, we had a successful induction with just using nipple stimulation and castor oil. It can work under certain circumstances or a balloon catheter, which isn't a medication. A balloon catheter is really just a balloon that's placed in your cervix. It sort of slowly physically dilates um, the cervix. That can work very well and you can avoid medications if you need to. So know that there are some lower intervention options for induction that are available. And please understand, I'm not trying to sway you either way. Like whatever you want to do is up to you as long as you have a discussion with your, your provider and know the risk and benefits, pros and cons of all of the different options. I'm just presenting all of the options to you. Now, I will say a quick note about that fetal surveillance, the putting your baby's um, heart rate or looking at your baby's heart rate and looking at the fluid. It has not necessarily been shown to reduce outcomes. It has never been studied in like the fanciest or best high quality evidence trial, which is a randomized control trial. And it never will be because of ethical reasons. No one's going to assign pregnant women to go unmonitored when they go past their due date. 
but this is the best that we have to monitor a baby's well-being. And I will say that very few women will get beyond 42 weeks. That is actually fairly rare. Most will deliver by then um, and go into labor naturally or by induction. And if you do go past 42 weeks, then it actually is pretty strongly recommended that you be induced no later than 42 weeks and six days. Because again, the risk of stillbirth really, really starts to go up and we just don't have a lot more benefits of staying pregnant at that point. Now, ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, their position on late-term and post-term pregnancies And ACOG is what helps set the standard for maternity care in the U.S. It says induction of labor after 42 weeks and zero days and by 42 weeks and six days of gestation is recommended given evidence of an increase in perinatal morbidity and mortality induction of labor between 41 weeks zero days and 42 weeks, zero days of gestation can be considered. So it actually doesn't even recommend induction until after 42 weeks and then consider it after 41 weeks, um, does not recommend the discussion necessarily before then. Okay. So the bottom line is there's no right answer for how things should go. Once you go past your due date, you may be ready to be induced because you're ready to have your baby. Some don't want to take any chances with stillbirth. Some want to wait as long as possible to go into labor on their own, which I totally understand. That's fine too. And as long as you and your baby are healthy, then you can certainly wait and, and do that. So it's really a personal choice. And then just making informed decisions about what you think is best for you, your pregnancy and your family. Okay, so just to recap, your due date is so important, all right? It helps us date all of the things in pregnancy and makes decisions and make decisions about how your baby's growing. It is best determined by an ultrasound done in the first trimester. Once your due date is established, it does not change. It is based on the earliest estimate of your due date. Also, don't get attached to your due date because it is just that, an estimate. Most people will not deliver on their due date. They will deliver within a few days around their due date. And if you do go past your due date, the risk of stillbirth does go up, especially after 42 weeks, although the overall risk of stillbirth is low. Now, you will be much better prepared for all things labor and birth with excellent childbirth education. And that is what I offer you inside the birth preparation course, my signature online childbirth education class that gets you calm, confident, and empowered to have the most beautiful birth. You can check out all the details of the birth preparation course at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. All right. So there you have it. Do me a couple favors. Number one, if you like this episode, if you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. It is my mission to reach and serve as many pregnant folks as possible. So if you like it, then share it. And also be sure to subscribe to the podcast in Apple podcast or wherever you're listening to me right now. I'd love it if you leave a review in Apple podcast in particular. I love to read the reviews. I like to hear what people say about the show. It also helps other women to find the show and that helps the show to grow. Don't forget to sign up for my email list where you can get access to exclusive discounts. You can still get great information there as well. Helps keep you off of social media a little bit. That is drnicolerankins.com forward slash email. So that's it for this episode. Do come on back next week. And remember, you deserve a beautiful pregnancy and birth.
Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E, 2-0.